0: things out sometimes. Uh, he called me here about a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, said, what do you think? And I said, well, brother, if, you're, if everything else will work out, come on by. We want you here. And I uh, love Brother Cedric. He's been a dear friend for many, many years. And um, there's not a lot of people in life that are a friend to you all the time. And when you find them, you want to hold on to them and I appreciate so much Brother Cedric and uh, his testimony over the years and encouragement to me and uh, he's a close enough friend that <clears throat> he can uh, get a hold of me sometimes and say Greg you're stupid you gotta, you gotta watch this <laughs> he doesn't ever call me that too much but it has been invaluable to have a friend like that that could see things sometimes that I couldn't see and would be a help to me and I appreciate so much his love for us, and uh, pray for him. He's still traveling and doing all that he can to serve the Lord. And so, pray as he travels. He'll be leaving tomorrow morning to go over to Kansas and uh, work in the church over there. so, pray for <clears throat> pray for him as he does. He's going to meander down. I don't know where all, but one of the places is going to be Louisiana, unless you're from Louisiana. And it's Louisiana, <clears throat> he's going to be down there, and then uh, going back into the Florida area. So. Pray for him as he travels, who he'll have traveling mercies. And, uh, Brother Keith, if you don't mind, we'll set that offering plate back on the purple table there. And if you'd like to just be a help and a blessing to Brother Cedric, uh, just on his way and try to encourage him a little bit. He doesn't ask for anything. He didn't call me up and say, hey, can you give me so much to come? Uh, he just said, I might have a possibility of coming by that way and would like to be there for the men's advance. And I said, come on. and But we want to try to help him and be a blessing to him. Uh and he, he lives by faith uh, week by week, and so pray that God will meet his needs. And uh, if you're going to uh, give in that, uh, if you need to write a check, uh, if you'll make it out to Keefa Heights Baptist Church, and we'll write one check for him uh, from those. And uh, if you got cash, that's fine. You can put that in the offering plate too. I'm sure he doesn't mind that. Uh, but uh, we want to be a help to him. Uh, the Bible teaches that you shouldn't muzzle the ox that treads the corn. And uh, he's been a blessing and a help. And I know for the men's retreat, it was a, certainly a blessing. And then throughout the day-to-day, it's been a blessing already. And so pray for him as he travels, and let's try to do what we can to be a part in helping him along the way. <clears throat> if you will, turn with me in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I've been in this book quite a bit in the last several weeks, and uh, I love as we go back through and study uh, these books again, sometimes... Uh, multiple times over the life, our lifetime, we go back and reread and restudy books, and there's just a richness that's there. It never seems to exhaust uh, the truth of God's word, and is always an encouragement. And sometimes we teach things or preach things from the Bible by way of remembrance because we need to be reminded of them. It's not anything that we haven't seen or read or heard before. Uh, other times, as we study Scripture, uh, God uh, illuminates some things and brings some things to light that are certainly a a joy to our hearts, little uh, nuggets of truth here and there that just seem to be uh, much more uh, effective this time through that uh, speak to our hearts. And so we're going to share a little bit of that. Last Sunday, uh, we uh, preached from this uh, chapter on stir up the gift that was in you, that that Paul was telling Timothy he needed to stir up the gift uh, that was in him. And uh, the idea of revival. It wasn't Paul's responsibility to stir Timothy up. It was Timothy's responsibility to stir it up. And uh, this gift that the Holy Spirit that had been given to, the apostles, or to, to uh, Timothy, uh, from time to time, we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grow tired and uh, weary in our spiritual life. We can grow tired and weary physically. And all of these things can take a toll on us when it comes to being fired up for the Lord and having uh, a spark there and having something that... Is a fervency of spirit and a zealousness that uh, we want to we want to diligently serve the Lord, and we want to walk with Him, in a, a close walk with Him in the time of uh, being able to come to Him in prayer, and uh, to to have that sweet time of fellowship, and uh, a lot of times those times grow very cold and calloused. And I think if you've been saved any length of time at all, you can relate how that there are sometimes you feel like you're ready to just charge hell with a squirt gun. And uh, other times you feel like I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, and I feel like God has forsaken me. He's not even there. But through it all, God is still good, amen? And uh, I will say this, that when it comes to those times, uh, there needs to be a self-examination. It is not God's fault when we grow cold or apathetic towards the things of the Lord. There's something in our life that has caused that. We've either grieved or quenched the Holy Spirit of God or... We've become too entangled with the things of this life. And they have consumed our priorities and our mindset. Can I tell you this? And I said it earlier. The more we meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we delight in Him. And the more we delight in Him, the more we'll think on Him. You cannot sit and dwell and think on God for very long at all before the embers of your heart are stirred. And you get to where you're you're excited that you're saved again. And you're excited that you have a God that hears and answers prayer. We talked a little bit about that this morning in Sunday school from Psalm 3. And uh, when we consider who He is and who we are, it is an absolute thrill to our hearts and a privilege to know that He hears us and answers us. There are a few times in my life that I have had the, the, uh, you can say privilege or maybe not so much a privilege, to meet some folks that have been very famous in this world. And people that, oftentimes people look at and say, that's an unapproachable person. Um, And I've had opportunities to meet them and to talk with them. And when I left for months afterwards, I thought, boy, I got to talk to so-and-so. And And, and you know how we are. We like to drop names, you know. Uh, Well, you know, I was talking to such-and-such, and it's some famous person that nobody really gets to be around very much. And, yeah, they're a friend of mine. We were talking, you know. Can I tell you this? Wouldn't it be wonderful If we could be that excited about talking with Almighty God. There is no greater person, there is no greater being in this universe than God Himself. He is infinite. He is absolutely powerful, all-powerful. He is absolute holiness. And yet, He allows us to commune with Him. What an amazing thought. You can't think on that very long. You can't talk with Him very long without getting excited about the things of the Lord. And get your heart stirred up again. And Paul charged Timothy, and last week we talked on that a little bit, about stirring up the gift that was within him. I want us to look down as we read in verse number 1. We're going to read down several verses here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I served from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. And Lord, provide uh, the ability to speak clearly this truth. Lord, after a busy weekend, oftentimes our bodies become frail and fatigued and weak and weary. Lord, I pray that you would allow the power of your Holy Spirit to take the truth of this wonderful passage and engrave it upon our hearts and allow Him to do the work in our hearts to bring conviction, to charge and to challenge and to edify and to strengthen us. I pray that you would help give clarity of thought and mind. And Lord, do that which I cannot do as I speak outwardly, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit and your Word will do a transforming work in the hearts of men. So help us this morning as we come to your Word. And Lord, do, in spite of the vessel, do a work that you so long for this book to do in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I notice as I began this, uh, this particular book and and kind of think on these things sometimes, as I was sharing in Sunday school this morning, we need to be careful that we don't just read the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible. Uh, Well, I'm going to read my Bible because the pastor said I should, and I, I want to read three chapters a day or five chapters a day. Can I tell you this? We ought to read the word thoughtfully and carefully and try to examine it. Some old preacher said it years ago, squeeze all the juice out of it. Get all you can from it. And uh, I like what Paul says here after he greets uh, Timothy. He says in verse number 2, To Timothy, uh, my dearly beloved son, oh, there ought to be a love among God's people for one another, shouldn't there? Out of all the people in the world that ought to love each other, it ought to be God's people. There's enough people out here trying to hurt people and harm people and criticize people, be ugly to people and downgrade people. Christians of all people don't need to be part of that crowd. They need to be ones that love one another. And so he makes this statement. He says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, I want you to notice these three words, and if you have a pen, maybe perhaps underline them if you will. Grace, mercy, and peace. I want to start on this first one. The idea of grace Grace and mercy, when I was growing up, I I would use those words interchangeably often and didn't think there was a big difference between them. But the truth of the matter is they are absolutely, completely opposite, one from the other. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. And mercy is not getting something that we do deserve. Oh, what a thought. I'm thankful that it is by grace, according to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2, that it is by grace... That we are what? Saved. It is not because we earned it. It is not because God owes it to us. It is not because we deserve it. God gave us this wonderful gift of salvation simply because He loved us. I know a lot of times, even though we know this in our minds and and have, have allowed that to be memorized, and maybe we've put it into our hearts to memorize this verse of Scripture Can you ever get over the fact of God's grace? I'm telling you, I I shared with our men this past weekend, uh, there came a point in my life in a very dark time that I sat there and I thought, Lord, after all that I have done for you, and then I went on to proceed to tell him, I can't believe you're letting this happen to me right now. And I was smitten with conviction. My heart was broken in that moment. As I began to think, I didn't realize this, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I must have felt like if I built up enough good things before God that He would owe me something. My friend, God doesn't owe us anything. I'll help you with something else. No matter what some other men may say that stand in churches and pulpits around this country today, God also does not need us. I'm thankful God has chosen us. I'm thankful He loves us. And that whatever He does, I I love what the psalmist said. He said, deal bountifully with Thy servant, Lord. I love that because he doesn't say, Lord, deal with me on my merit because of what I've done. Deal with me because I'm a man after Your own. That's not what the psalmist said. He was saying, Lord, what I want You to do is I want You to deal with me out of Your bounty." Out of your love for me. I want your blessings that you want me to have. That's grace. Paul speaks to Timothy and he is saying, I want God's grace to be in your life. I want you to understand its magnitude. I want you to understand its brilliance. Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Verse number, we'll start verse number 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life life by one Jesus Christ. So even though sin had reigned over us because of Adam, when we get saved, the Bible says the grace of God reigns in its stead. And he says this, it does so much more than that. Verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemn uh, condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. If that doesn't charge your battery, if that doesn't light your fire, I don't know what will. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made what? Righteous. Righteous. Folks, that's grace. Grace.
1: Moreover, the law entered
0: that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, notice this phrase, grace did what? Much more abound. Paul told Timothy, Second Timothy chapter number 1, he says to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad for God's grace today? Aren't you glad for His mercy? (coughs) Look with me in John chapter number 3 for a moment. Let's think of His mercy for a moment this morning. John chapter number 3, verse number 16, a very familiar verse. For God so loved the world this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Can I tell you this? There's not a single one of us sitting here today that does not deserve hell. If there's anything that we can ever claim that God owes us, it would be hell. That's what we deserve. And I'm thankful I'm not going there. And I'm not going there because not only did God give me his grace, in fact the greatest act of grace that God did was to give us his mercy. Because his mercy is undeserved. His grace is undeserved. It's unmerited. I don't know how many times over the years, when I've talked with people about trusting Christ as their Savior, numbers of times, I've had folks say, It just can't be that easy. Or I, I don't think I deserve it yet. I, I gotta do something, don't I? be able to earn this no no in fact if you're at that place where you say i just don't think i deserve it that's where god wants you to be when you get saved you don't deserve it that's the whole beauty of salvation that's the whole beauty of grace and if you earned it if you deserved it if there was something you could do for it it would no more be grace it would now be worse (coughs) paul tells (coughs) excuse me tells timothy grace mercy And isn't it wonderful that when grace and mercy are given to our lives, all the peace comes from that. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice it's not from our church attendance, it's not from our baptism. It's not from the Christian family that we were born into. It's not by doing good works and good deeds and living a clean life. It's by God's grace and by God's mercy. And then in verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with, notice these two words and then underline them if you will, with what? With what? Pure conscience. Verse number 3. He says, I thank God whom I served from my forefathers with pure conscience. By the way, I will just say this in passing. It's not the message for the day. But yes, there ought to be purity in our life. There ought to be holiness in our life. We're living in a day where even men of God standing in pulpits say, Well, come as you are, and I don't think there's a problem with that in the world as long as you don't say, Leave as you are too." The whole reason we come as we are to the Lord Jesus is so He can change us, so He can do a transforming work in our lives. And yes, once we get saved, there ought to be a working of the Holy Spirit that is ongoing in our life, causing us to strive and press toward a mark that Paul spoke about, and the mark being the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be as much like Him as I possibly can, and so should you. And it ought be the desire of the heart of a Christian. In fact, I go so far as to say this, that when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us when we get saved, He produces a desire in us to seek after holiness. Some people say, well, pastor, you've got to preach on holiness more. That way people will be holy. Can I tell you this? Once you get saved, while preaching certainly will help, And certainly will encourage and it will edify and it will get you to uh, exhort you to to be holy and to be faithful. I'll tell you this, even if there's no preaching around on it, the Holy Spirit will do a work in your heart. (coughs) He does a sanctifying work. Paul wrote this, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with the price? Therefore glorify God in your bodies. Why? Because there needs to be pure conscience. There needs to be some holiness. And by the way, it'd be wonderful if the pulpits of our country would light on fire for God about the idea of living holy once again. I'm not talking about in an outward, arrogant, pharisaical way. I'm talking with a heart that loves God so much that the worst thing we can ever imagine is being a reproach to the cause of Christ. That the, the thing that we want the greatest of in our life is for our testimony. It'd be that which glorifies Him and points men to Him. After all, that is what He preached on the Mount, on the Sermon on the Mount, wasn't it? He said that men may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father. We don't live holy because we want somebody to pat us on the back. We want to live holy so that men can say what a wonderful, transforming work God did in that person. I'll be real frank with you. You're looking at a pastor that is a sinner that deserves hell. And I told our men this this week, if you look in the mirror, you'll see the same thing. That's what we deserve. And I am thankful for God's grace and His mercy. And I'm thankful for His ongoing work in our lives. He says in verse number three, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing... I have a remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. It would be a wonderful thing if you and I can learn to commune with God seamlessly and throughout our day and our night. It was said of Charles Spurgeon by some of his friends that when they were out on outings together, they said we never knew when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. He would transition so seamlessly. His, His walk with God was such that He felt that at any moment of any day, he could just break out in conversation with God. And I'm not trying to belittle God or cause there to be a a, a sacrilegious or a a lowering of the reverence and respect to God that there ought to be, but you don't have to wait till you come to a church house to talk to God. I'm thankful that because of the, the sacrifice that Christ made on Calvary, I don't have to go through a priest anymore. He is my priest. The book of Hebrews tells us that I've now got the privilege not arrogantly, but because of the blood of the Lord Jesus to come to the throne room of grace. Oh, what a joy to learn to pray day and night without ceasing. But Paul tells Timothy there's some things that he's going to charge him with here. And first of all, he charges him to stir up the gift that was in him. We spoke on that last week. But I want you to notice as we get down to verse number 8, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But, and if, you, if you have a pen, again, I'd like for if you would, to underline some of these things. He says, But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God. I, I will say this, Paul, we taught him this the other night, I, I read it as I went through one of the passages. Where Paul says, Yea, and all that shall live godly, in Christ, or that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're going to stand for the Lord, there's going to come some ridicule. There's going to be a loss of people in your life that used to be friends or acquaintances of yours. There, there's going to come a, a reproach that comes with standing steadfast on the Word of God and for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. There are a lot of men that have bowed the knee to, civil, to uh, social pressures and now when they get up in their pulpits, a lot of them are doing it today, will simply dialogue with the people and build the people up and magnify the people and make the people f- leave the building feeling really good about themselves. Can I tell you this? I wasn't told to magnify man, I was told to, the, by the psalmist, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Let's point men to Him. But if you're going to do it, there's going to come some affliction. There's going to come some reproach. There's going to be people that are going to they're going to criticize you, and not only they criticize you, they're going to make up lies about you. They're going to be accusers of you. And Paul said this be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. You say, how do you know that this is what he's talking about? That, that, that they're supposed to endure through the ridicule, the persecution? Because look what the first part of the verse says Be not thou, therefore, what? Ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Why would we be ashamed? Because somebody's making fun of us, maybe. No wonder Paul said, Be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. And I want you to notice this. Not only does he say, Be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. But I want you to notice, and I believe this is as important, if not the most important part of this statement. According to the power of God. I'll be real frank with you. This old flesh and bone, this this willing spirit, but weak flesh. I can't withstand the afflictions of this world. I may stand for the gospel, but I'll be real frank with you. I'm the first one to turn tail and run when there's a problem. I'm an introvert at heart. I don't like conflict. I don't like arguing. I don't like debating. I don't like standing and giving a defense of the gospel when people are sitting there making fun and ridiculing you. It is not part of my nature. So the only way that I am able to accomplish this is by God's working in my life and His power to produce it in me. A confidence, a boldness in my life. There's certainly no doubt that when Christ was getting ready to ascend back into heaven after his resurrection, he met with his disciples, he gave them some words of instruction. One of them was to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature. He told them to go uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and to teach them all things whatsoever he had commanded them. And he said, Lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the earth. But you know, he told his disciples after giving them that great charge, and you could only imagine, they were probably chomping at the bit after seeing something as miraculous as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and then he commissions them to go and tell the whole world about it. Could you imagine how excited those disciples were? By the way, do us well to sit there and think about that and say, boy, I want to be as excited as they were. I want to be chomping at that. Boy, you better hold me back. I'm just ready to go. Remember what Jesus told them? He said, but, tarry ye. I want you to do this, but don't go yet. Tarry ye in Jerusalem until ye be endued with what? With power from on high. And I tell you this, we are to serve the Lord. We are to be busy. We are to be doing all that we can to reach people with the gospel. But we better be dependent upon God's power working through us to accomplish it. When we get to the place where we say, Lord... I'll pray, I'll pray some other time. I'll spend time with you some other time. I'm too busy serving you right now. And we are in a terribly dangerous place in our life. Jesus told his disciples this. He said, without me, you can do very little. Is that what your Bible says? No, mine doesn't either. He said, without me, you can do some. Is that what he said? No, mine doesn't say that either. You know what he... You know what my Bible tells me Jesus said at that point? He said, without me, ye can do what? A zero with the the whole center rubbed out of nothing. Folks, I'm all for serving the Lord. I'm all for reaching people with the gospel, but boy, it better begin with the relationship of us getting on our faces before God and saying, Lord, I can't, but you can. And if you'll do it, I'll go. Paul told Timothy, there's going to be some affliction. And Timothy, it's going to get so bad that there may come a point where you can't take it anymore. Even Paul had gotten to a point in that in his life where he said, I'm beyond strength. The afflictions that were on me were beyond what I could handle. But you know what his response to it was when he said that in Scripture? He said, but God delivered me. It's beyond what Paul could deal with, but not beyond what God could deal with. And i tell you this, our personal walk with God needs to be revived. We need to fan the flames of it. We need to stir it up. And he said, Lord, I want a close, personal, intimate walk with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to know that I have your working, your power being done in my life. Not only was Timothy to stir up the gift, but he was to be the partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Don't leave out that last phrase. We we as Baptists are really good about picking the part of the verse we like that fits our belief. Let's read the whole thing here. According to the power of God. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest... "...by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality." Boy, what a wonderful thought. "...He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed." And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And now we see the third thing that Paul tells Timothy. Not only stir up the gift, not only be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, but he tells him this. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Hold fast to them. Hold fast to them. Don't let them be moved out of your heart. Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Therefore be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Psalm 1 talks about the man that delighteth in the law of the Lord And meditates in it day and night. He refers to him as a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. Plant yourself. Don't don't get moved. In fact, I'll I'll go so far as to say this. Don't even plant yourself. Let God plant you. And be content where he plants you. Jeremiah chapter 17. Hold your place there for a moment. Jeremiah chapter number 17. verse number 5, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse number 5 Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord for he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh and shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. That's the cursed man. That's the man that trusteth in man and makes flesh his arm. But verse 7 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a what? Tree. What does God do with that tree? He plants it, doesn't He? He doesn't just plant him out in the middle of nowhere where God abandons him. He plants him by the rivers of water, doesn't He? The Bible says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her what? Roots. By the river. This tree is different than that heath bush, isn't it? In fact, both of them are blind. Did you notice that? The cursed man is blind and cannot see when the good comes, but notice what it says about the blessed man. So not only does he spread out the roots by the river, but it says this and shall not see. He's blind too, but what's he blind to? He shall not see when the heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Can I tell you this? We need to learn to sink our roots deep into the nourishment of God's Word. To make sure that where God plants us is where I'm going to stay firm and hold fast. I remember years ago at a youth conference, we went down to the, the harbor there in Fort Pierce, the inlet. There's a large shipping boat there, one of these guys that brings in the big containers, and we were able to, to uh, secure a, a big rope. It was about that big around, about, probably about 300 feet long, about the, probably close to the length of a football field. And we uh, we had about three or four hundred teenagers and counselors there that year and we divided them into four teams and we put two teams on each side of this rope and played a giant giant thing, a tug of war. Y'all you know, remember playing that when you were a kid? <clears throat> each team was going through and they were trying to get people on the rope where they wanted them at, and you know what they found? They found the biggest, fattest, strongest guys they could, and you know where they put them? At the very end of the rope. When the, when the, when the tug-of-war was over, we went to both ends of the field to roll the rope up, and down at the ends of the rope, we found these big chunks of ground that had been ripped up where these men that were big had dug their feet into the ground and, and laid all the way back with this rope wrapped around them. And they were considered to be, and they would call them this, they said, you're the anchor. When everybody else in the rope in front of you fails, not you. Dig in. Sink some roots. Hold fast. When everybody else around you is being moved, not you. Not you. Paul said, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love. Notice this now, which is in what? Christ Jesus. Not going to do it without him. You're not going to be able to hold fast to the sound doctrine, the teachings of God's Word, without the the help of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as God must give you the power to be a partaker of the afflictions of the Gospel, so the Lord Jesus Christ must enable you to make sure you hold fast to the form of sound words which they had heard of the Apostle Paul. Not only was Timothy told to stir up the gift be a partaker of the affliction of the gospel, and to hold fast in the form of sound words. But notice also, as we continue on down, in verse number fourteen, he says, "That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep that good thing which was."